talk to you about something that's really near to my heart, and that is reaching the next generation. Look at your neighbor and say, reach the next generation. Reaching the next generation. And that's actually the title of today's message, is Reaching the Next Generation. You know, a little bit about my ministry journey is I started in ministry when I was 19 years old. I'm 30 now. Um, But when I started in ministry at 19, I actually started in youth ministry. And I started in youth ministry, and then I moved on to college ministry, and then I moved on to campus ministry, and I went back to youth and young adult ministry, and then I took a break, and now I'm back in youth and young adult ministry. So I can't escape the next generation. God won't allow it. And uh, not that I don't want to, but... um, But that's sort of like been my ministry journey. I've always worked with uh, the next generation. But I want to tell you something before we start this morning is that I don't have everything figured out. Have you ever felt that way working with people who are younger than you? You're like, I don't know what's going on. (laughs) And so uh, I don't have everything figured out. You know, when I came here two years ago to be back in youth ministry, it was a completely different generation than the one that I started with when I was 19 is now this Generation Z. And like, I had to relearn so many things. I was like, wow, baggy pants are back in. And like, I had to burn all my skinny jeans just to be accepted by the community. You know what I mean? Um, so I, I, I had a, uh, there's always a learning curve when you work with the next generation. And I just want you to know, as I speak to you this morning, I don't have everything figured out. I don't think any of us has it all figured out. Um, but hopefully I can share some things with you today that will be helpful. And I just feel like, you know, this morning, it's just sort of this rally cry for our church. Um, and so, and to get on the heart of God. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Psalm 78. 1 through 7. Psalm 78, 1 through 7. It's going to be up on the screen as well. But this is what the psalmist says in Psalm 78. My people, hear my teaching and listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, things from of old, things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. We will not hide them from their descendants. And right here, we will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders that he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children so the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born. And they, in turn, would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for your presence this morning. We thank you that we can gather as a family and a family of families. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be soft soil open our hearts and open our minds to receive your heart, God, for the generation to come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, This is a picture of me on my wedding day, and I got married. It'll be eight years in uh, in, in October. Now, um, my mom passed away when I was 19 years old, so she passed away a few years before I got married. So the woman that I'm embracing, who's who's embracing me, she's not my wife and she's not my mom. Her name is Sang. And affectionately in the community, she's known as Mama Sang. And when my mom passed away, Mama Sang took me in. And I went to live with her and she let me live in their garage, uh, rent-free. And she fed me. um, And she rebuked me when I didn't do my chores. And... uh, you know, I would like clean the bathroom and she's like, that's not clean. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, okay. So I'd have to go back and clean it two or three times, you know. There are different standards of clean, I learned. Um, She sat with me when I was hurting. You know, she gave me advice when I was confused. And on my wedding day, you know, one of the hardest things about losing a parent, especially like losing someone like your mom, is that 
um, on those significant moments in your life. And on my wedding day, when my son was born, you look around and you go, man, I wish, I wish she was here. I wish my mom was here. But on my wedding day, mom was saying, walk me down the aisle. And we had our mother-son dance together. And that day, uh, mom was saying she, she wept like I was her own. She loved me like I was her own. She embraced me like I was her own son. You know, to be really honest, I don't know where I would be without the people who invested in me when I was young. The people who made a conscious decision to say, I see you and I know you. Isn't that many of our stories in this room? Is that your story? Where would any of us be without those who came before us to link arms with us and say, I believe in you and I see you and I know you. This is what I want to talk about today. We can literally change lives when we reach the next generation. I was uh, listening to, I have three points today, by the way, and, and we're going to go through these points and, and and I, just really three keys to reaching the next generation. I'll just briefly highlight them for you. But, but the first thing we're going to talk about is we need the intent to reach the next generation. The second thing is we need the heart to reach the next generation. And the third thing is we need the relationship to reach the next generation. But I was listening to an interview with a pastor um, who pastors a church in Miami. And this church in Miami is very obviously had a focus around reaching the next generation. They were obviously reaching a lot of younger people. And so this pastor, he's sitting with his congregate and he's interviewing this young man from his congregation. And he asked this young man a simple question. He asked this young man, hey, since you've come to this church, knowing our focus around reaching the next generation... What has been the primary difference that you have noticed and you have seen between this church and the other churches that you have been to in the past? And the young man, they're sitting on a stool and he's thinking for a second. And he looks at the pastor and he just gives a really simple answer. He says, well, the main difference is it seems like at this church, you guys actually want to reach us. You actually want to reach us. And that leads us to our first point is we need the intent, the intent to reach the next generation. You know, when you think about the things like God is passionate about, right? When you go, what is God passionate about? What are those core things in the heart of God that should be overflowing in the life of every single Christian? A lot of times we think about, well, God is passionate about prayer. So we have pre-service prayer and we have prayer rooms and things like that. Well, God is passionate about missions. So we send missionaries to the mission field. Well, God is passionate about small groups. So we gather in our homes and we go to small groups. God is passionate about evangelism. So we should share the gospel outside of these walls. God is passionate about reading about scriptures. So we should read our Bibles. God is passionate about all of these things. But there is something that God is passionate about that flies under the radar so many times that is all over the Bible. And that is this, that God is passionate about reaching the next generation. God is passionate about reaching the next generation. This is just as much in his heart as all of these other things that he is passionate about. He cares deeply about the generations to come. You know, one thing I thought that was fascinating is I was searching the Bible about scriptures about reaching the next generation is that the majority of passages uh, calling us to reach the next generation, exhorting us to reach the next generation was actually in the book of Psalms. Now, I don't know about you, but that was kind of surprising to me. I thought I, I would find a lot of verses about reaching the next generation in First and Second Timothy and Titus and New Testament epistles. And for sure, Uh, uh, reaching the next generation is implied all over the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. But the majority of passages with the explicit call to reach those to come are actually in the Psalms. And the reason why I think this is fascinating and the reason I think this is powerful 
is because I always viewed the Psalms as a peek into the very heart of God. You know, the Bible says that David is a man after God's own heart. And I would always wonder, like, what does that mean? What does that mean that he was a man after God's own heart? What does that even look like? And all we have to do is read the Psalms. David wrote most of the Psalms. And in the very Psalms, we see what God's heart beats for. One of the things that we see in the Psalms all over, Psalm 71, Psalm 78, Psalm 145, is this one simple truth that you and I here to get today can embrace. And this truth is this, that our God is the God of generations. He's the God of the young to the old, and he's the God of the ones to come, even the ones yet to be born. He is the God of all generations. The psalmist, he says it like this. He says, we will not hide these things from their descendants. And he makes a definitive statement. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders that he has done. There it is. It's the intent, it's the desire of God, it's the will, the commitment, the calling. And that is the first step towards making an impact for generations to come. You see, somebody, when I was young, in order for my life to be transformed, somebody had to consciously set their will towards me. It didn't happen by accident. Somebody had to make a decision, get a hold of me, reach out to me, pursue me, and say, I see you. I see you. Somebody had to say, fulfilling your calling is now my calling. And that's many of our stories, isn't it? Somebody took us in. And said, your calling is now my calling. As I was preparing for this message, I just began to cry as I thought about all the people in my past who had taken their time, their resources to pour into me. David in Psalm 71 a few Psalms before this, he's nearing the end of his life. He's nearing the end of his life and he's reflecting back on the goodness and the power and the faithfulness of God towards him. And in Psalm 71, 16, he says this, David says at the end of his life, he says, so even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. Among the things that God is passionate about, he is passionate about the next generation and we should be too. Pastor David Larry Kim, he's a pastor on the East Coast, he says it like this, the next generation is the responsibility of the present generation. The next generation is the responsibility of the present generation generation. That means the future of our children, the future of our children right across these walls and the elementary kids downstairs and our youth and young adults is the responsibility of us, the generation now. And when we start to adopt this mindset, when we start to adopt this, this value system, this realization that this is on the heart of God and we should all embrace the call to reach the next generation, it starts to shift our mindset and our paradigm of what it means to be the church and what it means that we are the body of Christ. For example, sometimes I find it funny that we call this service the main service. Like, I think I know what we mean when we say that this is the main service. But how many of us know that God is working just as intentionally and powerfully in the children's room right across this wall as he is in the sanctuary right now? 
How many of us know God is working just as intentionally and powerfully in the elementary rooms downstairs as he is in this room right now? Or in our youth and our young adult services? How many of us know that right now as we sit in this very moment, the spirit of God is moving and the gospel is being planted in the hearts of young ones all across the church and in this building right now? Church, this may be the biggest service, but it certainly is not the most important. This also means that when we come to our understanding of what it means to be the body of Christ, it also means that we all have a part to play. It doesn't matter what age or stage we are in, we all have a part to play in reaching the generation to come. And we must see ourselves in the church that way. Sometimes I hear people say, the next generation is the future church. Can I just tell you something right now? The next generation is the church right now. The next generation is a part of the body of Christ right now. Our God is the God of generations and the church is a church of many generations. And although we're a church of many generations, we're still one and united in purpose and passion. I mean, think about this for a second. Where else in society do we see multiple generations coming together side by side in one pursuit toward a common goal? It's not Chick-fil-A. Although occasionally God's glory does show up inside Chick-fil-A. I'm pretty sure of it. It's not Red Robins or Denny's. Friends, it's the church. It's the people of God. It's us. This is who we are. Our God is the God of generations, and it's going to take all of us. I was talking to some of my Slavic friends. Since we've, Janelle and I moved here two years ago, we've made a bunch of friends who are Slavic, and we love them. And Any Slavic brothers and sisters in here? Yeah, there we go. We got we have some hands. The last service, no one raised their hand. And I was literally looking at my friend who is Slavic. I was like, dude, like, what? Raise your hand. I texted you yesterday. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, I didn't. Um, talking, to, talking to my Slavic friends th- this past weekend, and one thing I've learned about, you know, Slavic families and Slavic cultures, all of my Slavic friends, they're like one of eight children, eight to ten. And sometimes they tell me these stories, like there's they're like eight children and they're all in the same house. And I just asked them, I was, I straight up just asked them, I was like, hey man, like how did your parents raise eight children in the same house? How did they do that? I have one child and I live in fear. <laughs> My wife recently, she was like, babe, I want another child. And I was like, oh. I was like, we have a dog. We have a, we have a child and a dog. Isn't that enough? I mean, like, isn't that enough? We got to walk the dog and feed the dog. Like, I just, it's like, it's just so much, you know? And I asked them, I was like, how did your parents raise that many children? Their answer was so simple. I said, it was family. Grandmothers and grandfathers, aunts and uncles who stepped in. You know, I think sometimes in our individualistic culture, we've lost this sense that we're a family, meaning that everybody steps in, pitches in to raise the children. We need everyone. We need the people of God. We need mothers and fathers and grandmothers and grandfathers and brothers and sisters in Christ coming together, looking at those younger than them and saying, I see you. I see you, I'm for you, and my calling is to fulfill your calling. As the psalmist says, we will tell the next generation of his power and his faithfulness. You know, um, Chris Vallotton, he's the leader of Uh, something called Bethel Supernatural School of Ministries, which is a school of ministry at Bethel Church in Redding, California. Lots of controversy around Bethel's theology and stuff. That's not the point. But 
At one point, their school was drawing thousands and thousands of young people to them. Like, like young people were moving from like Europe and Asia and Africa to Redding, California. Have you ever been to Redding, California? There's nothing there. There's an old country buffet. I've been there <laughs> to the old country buffet in Redding, California. And uh, I remember walking into that old country buffet and we talk, we, we we're talking with a person who was cashing out, cashing out our bill. And we had this conference because we had a Bethel conference. So we had this name tag. She was like, she was like, oh, you guys here for a church conference? And I, and I go, and I go, uh, I go, yeah, you know, it's at Bethel church. Have you been there? And she goes, she, she's not even a Christian. She goes, oh, everyone's been to Bethel. It's like, okay, that's crazy. Anyways, at one point, they had thousands of young people flying from all over the world to go to Redding, California and go to their school. And this man, Chris Valentin, he heads up their school. So he's in an interview with this guy. And, the, and this guy's curious. He goes, what's like the secret sauce? And he's like, what do you mean? He's like, how are you drawing so many young people from all around the world to come to your school. What's the secret? Like, what's the one thing that young people are hungry for? And without hesitation, Chris Valentin goes, mothers and fathers. Mothers and fathers. We need everyone. We need you. We need you. We need the family to pitch in to raise the kids. So in order to reach the next generation, we must see God's intent on this call all over the Bible that our God is the God of generations and we all have a part to play. And the next generation is not the future church. It is the church right now. But what heart should we have as we approach the next generation? Maybe you're thinking, well, I want to, Ryan, but I've never worked with young people before. Maybe you feel too, too, too detached from their world. Maybe you feel like, man, I don't even know what they're into. Maybe you feel like I'm not cool enough or I'm not knowledgeable enough or I'm not strong enough, but I still feel that way, uh, by the way. And there's some truth to the statement that every generation has its similarities and its differences. That's true. And there's a learning curve to reaching every generation. But what's important here is that we come with the right heart. How many of you know when you have the right heart, the little mistakes don't really matter? It's not about strategy. It's not about any of those things. It's approaching this intent, this call to reach the next generation with the right heart. And that leads us to our second point. We need the heart to reach the next generation. I believe we can sum up the wrestle of the coming generation in one word. But before I share with you that word, I want to share some, a, a story with you, with you because I want us to hear what I feel like is the cry of the generation to come. You know how, um, I was going to say, you know how when you're performing surgery, but many of us have not performed surgery. Um, but you know how in surgery, you need to diagnose the issue and the ache before you can figure out the appropriate approach, right? And that's sort of what we need to do here. And I'm going to tell you the approach in a second, but I want you to hear the cry of a generation. I was meeting with a young lady, and this young lady seems like she has everything put together. Her life seems perfect. She's got a good family, a good home. She's got extracurricular activities. She's got friends. She's got an iPhone 13. She's got the shoes, the clothes, all of these things, right? Everything you would think like, wow, you've kind of got things figured out. Life must be good. Well, she reaches out to me and um, she reaches out to me. She's a teenager and she reached out to me. She's like, Ryan, can we get together? So I'm like, yeah, sure. So we, we, uh, she, she comes to, she comes and, and we sit down and she's sitting across from me. And as she sits down, as we're sitting there, she just begins to cry. She just begins to cry and she begins to weep. And I'm just, I'm just waiting. Like, and finally, she's got her head down and she looks up at me and she's got tears streaming down her face. And with tears in her eyes, she looks at me and she says, Ryan, why am I so lonely? And why do I feel so far from God? 
You know, Jesus once said, what good is it to gain the world and lose your soul? I believe the cry of a generation that is struggling is don't let me gain the world and lose my soul. Don't let me gain everything but lose my soul. Let me share some statistics with you about Gen Z. Currently, Gen Z is between the ages of 9 to 24 years old. And here's some statistics about Gen Z. This is from Barner Research from 2020. So this is fairly recent, just two years ago. But Gen Zers, who are currently between 9 and 24 years old, 43 believe happiness is, def- is defined by financial success. 70% of all 18 to 34-year-olds regularly view porn. The average age of exposure to porn today is 11 years old. 75% of 15 to 18-year-olds have sexted, meaning have had sex through text message. 50% of those have sent naked or semi-naked pictures. 84% have received sexually explicit messages by phone or email. 70% are sexually active and nearly 75% of those say they do not regret having sex. 94% of all therapists are reporting a dramatic increase in the number of people addicted to porn. Rates of depression, anxiety, and suicide have doubled in just the last 10 years. Less than 50% of Gen Zers would consider their mental health as good. 91, 91% experience physical symptoms due to stress or mental illness. This is real. This isn't made up. 75% have left a job for mental health reasons. Almost 70% say anxiety and depression is a major concern, and suicide is Gen Z's second leading cause of death. Just for reference, and 58% are concerned about the rise in suicide rates. Just for reference, in the last 12 months, we have had at least four suicides of young people somehow connected to this community. Most of them being high school or younger. I know one of them for sure being in middle school. Gen Z is the loneliest, is also the loneliest generation in America with 79% saying that they feel alone. Now, if I were to wrap up these statistics and, 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 the, and, the, and the issue and the soul cry of a generation, if I were to wrap up the one thing that the generation to come is wrestling with in their hearts, in one word, it would be this, identity. Identity. Who am I and whose am I? And where do I belong? You know, so much of life flows out of what we believe about God and what we believe about ourselves. And this really is the crux of the issue. Identity is the crux of the issue. But good news, identity is also the door to redemption. But why such a massive struggle with identity today? I mean, is the current culture really that much more difficult to navigate than the one that we grew up in? I mean, and you and I know that in general, sin, human struggle is sort of the same from generation to generation. We all know that as human beings, we all kind of typically wrestle with the same things and ask the same sort of questions regardless of what generation we come from. Would you agree with that? So same, some, same core issues, right? Regardless of what generation we come from. But here it is. It is more difficult to navigate today because the problem is, even though the issues, the core issues are the same, the problem is that now young people have more places to go and more voices to listen to that tell them who they are than ever before. It's that the options have multiplied. To put it another way, the amount of voices telling them who they are have increased by a hundred. 
Now they can just hop on Netflix. Now we can just hop on Instagram. Now we can just hop on these other places and find out exactly who we are. We can listen to multiple voices, more voices than ever before. Drew Hill, the author of a book called Alongside Loving Teenagers with the Gospel. By the way, if you're a parent of a teenager or you work with teenagers at all, I highly recommend this book. Our our youth team is just finishing this book up right now, but it is one of the best books I have read about loving teenagers. Um, But Drew Hill says it this way. He says, with the tap of a screen, they can log into any of their social media accounts and see exactly how much they're worth. You know, as a next-gen pastor, I'm constantly reminding our young people of the gospel and what the gospel says about who they are and their worth. And maybe you need to hear this this morning today, but I'm constantly telling our young people, look, worth is not determined by what you can accomplish. Worth is determined by what someone is willing to pay. That's worth. And anytime you feel unworthy, anytime you want to get your worth from something else and someone else, look at the cross. God sent his son. Jesus paid the price. That's what you're worth. You're worth Jesus, the blood and the sacrifice of our King. And I tell people, oh, I'm not worthy. Oh, if you only knew what God did for you, you would never ask that question again. It is not about what we do, but what has been done for us. When we go back to the Psalms, the psalmist tells us what he will proclaim to the next generation. And he's constantly saying that we will declare God's praise and his power and his faithfulness and the wonders that he has done. David in Psalm 71 is basically saying, God, what you have done in my life, how you have loved me, how you have redeemed me, how you have been faithful to me, that is what I will declare to a generation to come. Your wonder and your power and your goodness. We get to remind our young people who they are in Christ. That's what we get to do. You know, one of my favorite discipleship, intergenerational relationships in the Bible is Paul and Timothy. Paul began mentoring Timothy probably when Timothy was around 16 years old. Timothy would eventually go to lead a church in Ephesus, and it was probably a pretty large church. But by the time Timothy led Ephesus, that led the church in Ephesus, Timothy was 30 years old. So Paul had been mentoring and discipling and walking with Timothy for close to 15 years close to 15 years. And when you look at Paul's exhortations to Timothy in 1st and 2nd Timothy, Paul is constantly encouraging him and calling him higher and calling out who he is. Paul says things like, fan into flame the gift of God in you through the laying of hands. Paul says things like, hey, Timothy, don't let them look down on you because you're young, but set an example in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. He says things like, hey, Timothy, I want you to remember, God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. But in all of Paul's exhortations to Timothy, it's wrapped up in this higher conversation about who Timothy is. When you read First and Second Timothy, one of the things that you notice is Paul is not just telling Timothy what to do. Paul is always calling out who Timothy is. You'll see over and over again in First and Second Timothy, Paul going, you are a man of God. He says, oh man of God. Over and over again, Paul calls Timothy his son. Even though Paul references Timothy's real mother. Paul says, Son. And what we need is we need a generation and generations who are going to call out the identity of Christ in our young people. Who are going to say, This is who you are. 
What we don't need, what we don't need, please hear this humbly, what we don't need is a critical spirit. What we don't need is passing judgment. What we don't need is self-righteousness. I'm the have and you're the have not. What we don't need is negativity. What we don't need is people constantly micromanaging our young people and say, do this, do this. What we need are people who say, this is who you are. And that's why you do what you do. It's who you are in Christ. Do you guys remember the Lion King? Do you guys remember that epic scene in the, in the Lion King when Simba's he's running through this field, right? He's running through this field and, and he's like, he's in despair and he's confused and he doesn't know what the future holds and he lost his dad and he's feeling alone. So he's running through this field and he's like, oh, woe is me. And he's just, he's feeling defeated. And in that field, he meets Rafiki. I know you've seen this. I'm just, I'm going to act out the whole movie actually right now. <laughs> so uh, three o'clock, we'll get out of here. Um, and so in that field, Simba, he's despaired, he's discouraged, he's feeling down and out. And here he meets Rafiki and Rafiki pops up, right? And he's like, whoa, right? And Simba goes, who are you? And Rafiki goes, no, who are you? And Simba puts down his head and he says, I thought I knew, but I'm not so sure anymore. And do you remember the next part? Rafiki takes him to this watering hole and he describes this whole thing about how Mufasa still lives and he lives in him. And then he takes him back out to the field. And what happens? Mufasa comes up in the sky, right? Just this epic <laughs> moment, this epic moment, right? Mufasa comes up in the sky. Here's, his, here's, here's Simba's dad, right? Just, just up there and he's like reappearing. And, 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 and Mufasa says to his son, do you remember his words? He says, Simba, remember who you are. That was the turning point in the whole story. Drew Hill, the author of the book alongside, he says it like this. We get to hold a crown above their heads and let them grow into it. We get to hold a crown, the crown of the king, the crown of sonship, your son, your daughter. We get to hold that over their heads and go, I'm going to watch you. I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to pray for you to grow into who you really are. A son and a daughter of the high king. Remember who you are. That's what we get to do. You know, when I was in uh, my first year of Bible college is when my mom passed away. Now, when my mom passed away in the middle of Bible college, it was really, really hard because our whole life changed. Uh, we moved out of the house that we were living in. We couldn't afford that house anymore. Uh, we, we, we couldn't make, make payments to the school. We didn't have the money anymore because all the bills went to medical bills. You know, now it's just my dad and, and my sister and, and me. And my mom was kind of like the bridge between me and my dad. She was like the language bridge, you know. She's like the app that translates language. I couldn't really speak Korean. So she'd be like, this is what he said. And this is what he said. And this is what he said. So everything changed for us in that moment. And so when my mom passed away, I stopped going to school. Like I didn't unenroll. Like I just, I started to miss a day and then I started to miss a week. And, and, and eventually I was missing months of school and I was struggling. I felt confused. I felt the pain of the loss in my life. I didn't know how to reconcile it. I didn't know what my future meant. I just was trying to go through it. I was struggling with a massive porn addiction because I was medicating my pain. Um, I was lost. I just felt lost. Well, the dean at my school, his name is Dr. Jeffrey Mallinson. And my dean, he's an interesting guy. He, 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 uh, you ever met someone who's like part genius and part crazy? Yeah, that's, that's my dean. He would tell me stories of like him battling Scientologists at a gas station. And I was like, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. Um, this guy's part genius and, and part crazy. But my, my, my dean and I actually, we had come to become very close during my time in Bible college. And eventually, you know, people started to notice that I hadn't been there for months. And I didn't, you know, they knew that my mom passed away, but they didn't know maybe the extent of what that meant in my personal life. 
So my dean, he reaches out to me and, and he, he sends me an email. He's like, Ryan, can we, get to, can we get together? Can you come in? So I'm like, shoot, <laughs> I'm in trouble. <laughs> so I'm like, okay. So I, I, I drive to the school. I walk in like, oh, I haven't been here in months and walk through the hallway and there's his office. And so I walk towards the office store and I walk in and he's sitting there at his desk and I sit down. I sit down across from him and my, my, hand, my head is hanging and he just asked me, he's like, Ryan, what's going on? He's like, are you okay? And I begin to explain to him, like, this is, I'm struggling and, and I don't know what to do and I feel lost and I feel like everything from my faith in God, I mean, all of it, I just felt so lost. And I told him, I said, I don't think I can do this anymore. I don't think I can afford this anymore. I don't think I can go to school anymore. I don't think I can commit to this. I just don't think I can do this anymore. No response. He gets out a piece of paper from his desk. He still hasn't said anything back to me. He gets out a piece of paper, gets out a pen, and he starts to write. I still, he still hasn't said anything to me, okay? So he's just writing on his paper, and I'm like, these are the expulsion papers. I must sign them. And uh, he writes something on the paper and he, he, he slides it over to me. And I look at it and I'm like, what? Because this is what he had wrote. RAR. RAR. And I'm looking at this, I'm like, is this a joke? I, there was like some understanding because he's part crazy, right? I was like, okay, this kind of fits your personality. And I'm like, what, what does this mean? Rawr. And he says, Ryan, sometimes when I feel down and out and I feel defeated and discouraged, I'll hop on my motorcycle. He's a big motorcycle. I'll hop on my motorcycle, I'll hit the freeway, and I'll just gas it. I'll just break the law in speed. And he says, he says, I'll just, when I'm frustrated, I'll just hop on my motorcycle and, and just speed and I'll just scream, roar! <laughs> and by this point, you can imagine, I'm sitting across from him like, what? what? Where's this going? And he looks up at me, he looks me in the eyes and he says, I know you. You can do this. You can do this. I never forgot that conversation. You know, in fact, in preparing for this message, I looked back at my most recent emails with him, which were like 10 years ago. And his last email to me before he switched schools was, "Rar indeed. <laughs> when our young people are struggling, when they're struggling and anxious, wrestling with addiction, when they have heartbreak or discouragement or wrestling with mental health, when we hear their soul cry, don't let me gain the whole world and lose my soul, we get to lift up their heads and show them their crown and say, remember who you are. You are loved, redeemed. You belong to him. We get to say, I know you. You can do this. It is the privilege of our lives to sit across from those who are part of the next generation and lift up their heads and speak identity and life and the love of Jesus into their lives. We get to share with them the extravagant love of Christ and remind them who they are in him. Like Psalm 78 says, that what? That they would put their trust in God. In other translations, it says that they would put their hope in God and not forget all that he has done and all that he will do in their lives. That's what we get to do. You know, one of the people at our church who have affected young people the most, I consistently hear his name come out of the young people, of our young people's mouths. It's right here, Pastor Scott Dungan. 
I don't know how many times in the two years that I've been here, I have heard Pastor Scott's name come out of a young person's mouth. And, and they go, it's always the same. Oh, I love Pastor Scott. I love Pastor Scott. You know why though? It's because Pastor Scott has loved over a long period of time. It's what we get to do. And it's the privilege of a lifetime. So we see that in order to effectively reach the next generation, we must have the intent, we must have the want to, we must embrace the call of God on our lives and say, we will tell the next generation of his power and his glory and his faithfulness. And we also see that we must have the right heart, not the heart of criticism, not the heart that condemns. Trust me, I just want you to know, young people already feel condemned. They don't need more of it. Not that kind of a heart, but we get to, we get to come with the heart of a mother, a father, a grandmother, a grandfather, a brother, and a sister. And we get to come with a heart that reminds young people who they are and put that crown over their heads and let them grow into it. But how? What does this look like? Maybe you're here and you're like, yeah, I want to. Amen. And I think I have the right heart. I'm ready to encourage some young people. I'm ready to pour my love into them. I'm ready to do that. But how do I do that? Well, um, there's an African-American pastor. His name is Brian Loritz. And Brian Loritz, he, he has this fascinating talk about what it means to be a cross-cultural disciple maker. And what he means is that all of us as followers of Jesus, we want to be flexible and fluid in who we can minister to, right? So we want to be able to step outside of our comfort zones and minister to people who look different than us, talk different than us, um, are different age than us. And he talks about this idea that like we can all be those people. And he talks about how we can do that. But one thing that he says that I completely agree with him um, on is he says this. He says, whenever God means to expand our influence across cultures, whether that is ethnically, whether that is economically, or in this case, generationally, the first thing that God will give to us is a relationship. The first thing God will do when you set your heart into his passions is he will give you a person. That's where we start. So our last point was we need the relationship to reach the next generation. Paul had Timothy, Moses had Joshua, Elijah had Elisha, Naomi had Ruth, Samuel had David, and Jesus had his disciples. But what relationship has God given you? Who has God put in your path? You know, we don't all have to be superstars and we don't all have to do everything for everybody. That's not the case here. Pastor Ben always says to me, I've heard this a thousand times. He always says, Ryan, he didn't sound like that. Well, yeah. <laughs> I was like thinking about, well, he kind of, he says, Ryan, you don't have to be incredible. You just got to be credible. <laughs> we don't have to all be superstars and we don't have to reach everyone. We just have to have the heart of God for the one that he's put in front of us. What relationship has God given you? Maybe it's the barista you see every week on your way to work or church. Maybe you're a teacher. Maybe you're a business owner. Maybe you're a coach. Maybe it's the wayward nephew or niece you sometimes see at family gatherings. Maybe it's the young couple who just moved down the street from you. Maybe it's your neighbor's kid whom you know their home life is in shambles. Or maybe it's your own children. Or maybe your kids are going to college soon and now it's time to start thinking about some other young people around you. Maybe it's your grandchildren or maybe it's even your younger siblings. But what about you? Who has God put in front 
of you. That's where it starts. What about our own church? I don't know if you know this, but as, we, as I said, we're a church of generations, of many generations. You know, on any given weekend, we have 150 to 200 children in this building with up to 40 incredible volunteers who give their time and their heart to go and walk on those doors and feed them goldfish and play with Legos and sing songs about Jesus and dance around and share the gospel with them every single week. We have almost 100 students, middle school and high school, with almost 20 incredible volunteers whom I have no idea what I would do without them. We have almost 80 young adults at our church who are between the ages of 18 to 30, and we probably have around two dozen young married couples at our church with about a dozen mentors signed up to disciple them. That's us. That's now. That's who we are. That's our identity as a church. The next generation is the responsibility of the present generation. This is us, and it's now. And whose soul is crying out to you? Who can we hold the crown over their heads and say, grow into that? Grow into who you were always made to be. Who can we sit across from when they're crying and hurting and broken and struggling and lift up their head and say, hey, I know you. You got this. This is who you are. This is a picture of my real mom. And... um. When I was a junior in high school, I gave my life to Jesus between my junior and senior year that summer through an organization called YWAM. And when I was a junior, a few months before um, I gave my life to Jesus, I woke up one morning and I happened to wake up at five in the morning. Now, I never wake up at five in the morning. I have never woken up at five in the morning. Um, when Levi was born, I did, but it's just like, that doesn't happen, okay? But I, but I, was, I woke up for some reason at 5 a.m., and I felt drawn to go to my mom's bedroom. And so, you know, I, I, I you know, wipe in the, the fog of my eyes, I get up, and I open my door, and you know Washington, right? 5 a.m. in Washington, it's still dark, right? So it's still dark, and it's still dark in the hallway leading up to my mom's room, and so I walk through the hallway, and and and, and I decided to open the door, and I open the door, and I sort of peek in, and, uh, and it's still dark in the room, but I look in the door, and I see something I've never seen before. I see my mom at the foot of her bed on her knees with her Bible next to her, praying for our family, for her children. And then she looked at me, and she's like, whoa, get out! And I was like, oh! What did I just see? Sacred. <laughs> you know, I found out that day something I hadn't known before. I found out that my mom wakes up every morning at 5 a.m., goes to the foot of her bed on the carpet, on, gets on her knees, puts her Bible next to her, and prays for her kids. And a few months later, I gave my life to Jesus. I had an encounter with the Lord. Where would we be without the people who took us in, who loved us, who believed in us when we were young. And that is what we get to do now. We need intercessors. We need people who are willing to get on their knees before God and say, Lord, send revivals and awakenings to the generation to come. We need mothers and fathers and grandmothers and grandfathers and aunts and uncles. We need everybody to get on fire for the next generation and intercede and share the gospel and lift up their heads and speak their identity so that they can come alive in Christ. 
We need you. We need everybody. This is us. This is all of us. So even to old age and gray hairs, oh God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation and your power to all those to come. Let me not pass from this earth until I proclaim your faithfulness to the next generation. You know, I have a lot of hope for the next generation. I don't speak this from a place of discouragement. I don't speak this from a place of sadness. I don't speak this from a place of negativity. Like I genuinely have so much hope for the next generation, more hope than I ever have before. You know, in fact, when I first came here two years ago, I was like, who is Gen Z and how do I work with them and what do I do? And I was like, God, help me, right? But God spoke to me a word, when, the word that I've been holding on to two years ago. He said, Gen Z is a generation of revival. Gen Z is a generation of revival. And I don't know if you know, but in Exodus, it says something interesting. When the Israelites were in slavery, it says that the more the Israelites grew, the more that Pharaoh oppressed them. And the Lord showed me something. The reason why there's so much oppression and slavery on this coming generation is because the enemy is scared. That when this generation rises up and surrenders their whole life to Jesus, they will shake the earth. They will change their business places. They will change their schools. They will change their churches. They will change their communities and their neighborhoods. You know, we have, just as an example, I mean, in a a few months, we have something called Backyard Mission coming up where a bunch of students are going to come here and they're going to stay overnight. And on Saturday morning, they're going to go out and they're going to serve the community. And I asked the students, all the students are planning this. And I asked them, I was like, hey, what do you want to do, you know, on Saturday morning? Do you want to like go clean up a church? Do you want to, you know, you want to, you want to pick up garbage on the side of the road? What do you want to do? And they looked at me and they said, no, we want to go to the mall and want to share the gospel. Yeah. Yeah. And they said, get us the church van. I, was, I have a, a young man who, who's he's sitting in this room right now. Actually, I'm not, I don't want to point it out and embarrass him, but he came up to me a few weeks ago and he says, Ryan, I've been sitting with strangers at lunch and I've been sharing the gospel with them every single day. I have another young man who came up to me a few weeks ago. He says, hey, Ryan, I was in the weightlifting room at my high school and, and I've been sharing Jesus with my classmates. And they don't, they don't accept it really, but I've been sharing Jesus with them. You know, I don't know if you know, but like, I think it's the last Thursday of every month. We have something called Kids on Mission that happens right here in this building where parents and children come together and they meet in L1 and they worship Jesus and they walk in discipleship together. The coming generation is a generation of revival and I am filled with hope. Are you? Are you? Let's stand. Hey, why don't we just take 30 seconds and why don't we just pray for the next generation right now? Just lift our voices. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. You can pray in your prayer language. Just lift up that one person you're thinking about. Thank you, Jesus. Come, Lord. Come, God. Thank you, Lord. Pour out your spirit, God. Lord, we pray that you would send revivals and awakenings to the generation to come. We will tell the next generation of your goodness and your faithfulness and your power, Lord. Give us the words to say. Give us your heart, Lord. God, we pray all the lies would be broken in the name of Jesus. And the spirit of truth would come upon them and they would come alive in you. Thank you, Lord. As we respond in prayer, as we close... Uh, two things were on my heart for this morning. The first thing is this, is that, oh, three things actually. The first thing is this, is that I know um, many of you are in here. Maybe you're like, I want to make this commitment. I'm, I'm in, I'm in. However, wherever, I want to reach the next generation. If, you, if that's a yes in your heart, we want to pray with you this morning. We want you to come forward and we want to say yes and amen with you. We want to be a church of generations. 
The second thing is this. I know for a fact that many of you are living what I'm talking about. You're already living this. You've already been contending for a young person. You've already been walking with a young person. You've already been trying to reach out to a young person. But we want to pray with you. We want to partner with you. If you're contending for the salvation and the freedom of a young person, we want to say yes with you and intercede with you and partner with you so that those things can come to fruition. And the third thing is this. If you're a young person in this room and you feel like, I thought I knew who I was, but I'm not so sure. And you've realized, oh, that's who I am. You want to recommit your life to Jesus. You want to commit your life to Jesus. I want you to come up. We want to say yes with you and we want to pray for you. I'm just going to close. Jesus, we thank you for your presence. We will tell (laughs) the next generation. Oh, Lord, we will. Lord, our simple prayer this morning, help us to help them. Help us to help them. I even pray for your healing power right now in Jesus' name. Healing hearts. Thank you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, thank you that we belong to you. We are yours and you are ours. Give us eyes to see the generation to come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Northwest Church, go to our website, nwcfoursquare.org, or download our app in any of the app stores by searching Northwest Foursquare Church.